So I've got the privilege of kicking off a new theme um, called Wide Open Doors. Okay, sometimes when you travel you see some doors that are enormous. How many people have seen some really big doors? But you just think in God, there's no limit. His doors are incredibly big and incredibly wide. Uh, Pastor Sam kicked off this year with our theme scripture, 1 Corinthians 16 verse 9, for a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Well, we're not going to concentrate so much on the adversaries today. We're going to concentrate on the wide open doors. And he put it like this, that a great work is many good works. Put them together makes them a great work. And when we think of doors, they're opportunities. Maybe you look at a door and you think, it's a door of escape, I'm out of here. But come on, God's door is an invitation. It's an invitation to experience the much more of God. Now, none of us have exhausted learning about God. There is more. Just when you think you know some things, there is more. Come on, there is depth within depth. It's like, wow, I thought I knew that, but I'm learning even in a greater way. And today is Pentecost Sunday. How many people were aware that it's Pentecost Sunday? And Pentecost Sunday is just an annual reminder of what we can experience every day of our life is the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit when he filled the believers with power that they were able to go out and change the existing world. And that's what we can do today. And I believe God wants to fill people today. God wants to fill people with the Holy Spirit and with power, that we can do things beyond our own natural ability. And I wonder if we just need to breathe today. How about taking a big breath in? Breathe in. Come on, breathe in the Holy Spirit and breathe out. Come on, the praise, the worship, the obedience. Come on, just the um, flow of the Holy Spirit. And so God fills us. Why does he fill us? He fills us to fuel us. So we've got the power, the energy, and the grace. I love the grace of God. Sometimes I'm like, how am I going to do this, God? And it's the grace of God that supplies what I need. And I want you to be open to the grace of God, to the breath of the Holy Spirit. That's like a wide open door before us today. We can think wide open doors, yeah, they're out there and they're out there. But what about the wide open door right here, right now? Come on, to build our lives in Christ, to let him build our lives, and for us to build the house of God together. What a wide open door. We don't need to look very far to see that there's a wide open door right in front of us, right here, right now. Tell your neighbor your opportunity for the wide open door is right now, right here. Yeah, we want to build weight internally, spiritually, naturally, emotionally relationally, so we've got something to carry through those wide doors of opportunity. Come on, what have you got? What substance, what faith, what belief, what knowing do you have to step through those wide open doors? 
You know, God presents the wide open doors, but have we built something? Because we've entered other wide open doors in front of us to carry them through the doors God is opening. You know, we can only export that which we are already in possession of. Otherwise, we can find ourselves lacking. So the wide open door this morning we're going to concentrate on is building the house of God, both individually and corporately. Look at all you wonderful people together and what we can do as we know the anointing and the power of God, as we know the filling, as we know the direction, as we know the heart of God, what he wants for the city and beyond. But I want to ask you, what are you doing with your opportunity? Come on, it all starts with desire. Come on, desire is king. Desire is the most um, important thing. And the psalmist expressed it in this way, Psalm 84, 1 and 2. We used to sing this with uh, scripture and song. I'm sure a lot of you can remember that. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for yourself, where she may lay herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. You're blessed today. They will still be praising you. So we see here just such a longing. The psalmist is longing to be in the courts of the Lord. In fact, he said, I'm fainting, I'm breathless. And I know for me, when I step out in God, I'm breathless until I find myself in the presence of God, until I find that tabernacling with him, that relating with him, that sense of home with him, that sense of belonging with him, that sense of empowering with him. And he just said, I want to be present. My heart's fainting to be in your presence. I want to dwell. I want to live there. I want to belong. I want to know what it is to abide. Do you know what it is to abide in the presence of God? He just wanted to experience God's presence, God's peace, God's joy, God's ease, God's magnificence. You know, when we look at all those things today, we're going to go out like we do every Sunday, different from how we come in, because we see another aspect of God's house. We see another aspect of his glory. And it says, those who dwell in the house will be still praising. There's more to praise. Don't treat today like any other day. There's more to praise. There's more to take hold of in God. But it takes a spiritual search. Come on, not a search with your mind. Not just please my internet. May it all just fit into how I like. But come on, people, it takes a spirit search. Come on, a spiritual hunger is one of our basic appetites that God gave us. There was a sense that we're bigger than just flesh and blood. We're bigger than our minds. We have a spirit that is far reaching and our hunger is something God has put in our basic appetites so we might reach out to him. So here's my exhortation. Don't just be a traveler in life, always moving on, just passing through, but never establishing yourself. Today, the exhortation is to stay. Come on, unpack. Put your roots down for a greater house within you and amongst us to arise. Come on, the house needs you. 
Don't just be a traveller passing through, but say, God, I'm hungry. I'm hungry to plant myself. I'm hungry to find the presence of God. I'm hungry to see your glory. I'm hungry to work together with your people. Come on, planters become providers. Come on, planters become ones that can provide because they sow into the life of the house. My testimony was that nobody shared the gospel with me as such. But you know, as a five-year-old, my spirit searched. I knew that I needed God. Now, it wasn't because I had a bad home. It wasn't because I was neglected. It wasn't because I was ill-treated. But my spirit, I knew there was more to me than that. My spirit made diligent search. And we're encouraged to make diligent search with our spirit. I knew intuitively God. I spoke to him. I asked him things. I came to greater understandings of surrender as I got older. But my spirit searched. And I don't know where you're at, but we're going to open some spirits. Say, we're going to see your spirit come open to the greater things that God has for you individually, but corporately, God has something amazing, which we're already seeing. It says, God will be found of us when we search with our whole heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. How's your search going on? How's your seeking going on? Do you think, oh, yeah, I've exhausted it all, or I know it all, or God, I really want to seek, I really want to search after you. You find Jesus, and if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, you'll find home. You'll find a place of acceptance, security, belonging, being celebrated. You'll find the freedom to be the most uninhibited that you can be. You'll find the freedom to be yourself, because that's who God wants you to be. Come on, there's room in the spirit. There's a wide open door here today to move from natural understanding to greater spiritual responses. I reckon we can do it, church. We can do it. We can move today in the spirit. But let's long, like the psalmist, to dwell in the courts of the Lord. You know, we might have what looks like the form of a house, but maybe it doesn't carry the spirit of home. You know, we can have what looks like it's together. We can say, yeah, I've got a form, I've got a house, but does it carry the spirit of home? Us together carry the spirit of home where people can come, be welcomed and find Jesus. Did you know God has a similar longing? In Psalm 132, verse 13 and 14, it says, for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. You imagine God's desire. God's desire is for you. He wants to set up his house in you. He wants to set up his house, his presence in us. But are we giving him the space? Are we giving him the room? Because he said, this is my desire. I want to establish my house within yours. I hope the Holy Spirit feels free in your house. It just said 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of, there is liberty. That's why I love the Spirit of God, because the Spirit of God liberates me from myself. It liberates me from my smallness. It liberates me from my insecurity. 
It, the Holy Spirit liberates me to be the person that I'm called to be. Do you know Abraham in the Old Testament was on a search? Hebrews 11, 8 to 10 from the message. By an act of faith, Abraham said yes to God, and to God's call to travel to an unknown place that would become his home, to leave what he knew. He was a, in a heathen nation, and God asked him to leave. When he left, he had no idea where he was going. By an act of faith, he lived in the country promised him, lived as a stranger, camping in tents. Isaac and Jacob did the same, living under the same promise. Abraham did it by keeping his eye on an unseen city with real, eternal, come on, strength, foundations, the city designed and built by God. So Abraham moved out, and he dwelt in tents, but he was looking and waiting for something beyond what he could see in the natural. His spirit man was searching for what he knew in his spirit as a reality, a God city, a God-breathed construction. And that's what we're looking for on our journey as we dwell, as we abide. We're looking for a city designed by God whose foundations are in him. Come on, have we got that spiritual search in our hearts? Other versions of the scripture say he was looking to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Come on, God is our architect. He has already planned our life. He's designed it. He's drawn it. And I just put it in this fashion that he draws with pure, sincere lines. His expression of creativity for us. Sincere. You know, when an architect goes out to draw, I haven't talked to one, but <laughs> um, I'm sure they've got a sincere picture, a pure design in mind. Sincere lines that will hold the weight of the structure. You know, a framework that will bring the best out in the design. That it will be aesthetically pleasing. That it will have a good feel and a good look. But how much more is God drawn and designed? Something amazing for us. Do you know there is nothing, and these are my thoughts, as clear as sincerity. You know, God's sincere love for you and me and for his house. You know, I often think to myself, Helen, you may not be good at doing certain things, but one thing you do have, you're sincere. You're sincere, you're genuine, and sincerity is a huge strength. But our God draws with sincere and pure lines. Sincerity is the absence of pretense, deceit, or hypocrisy. And Paul says to Timothy in his development as a leader in the church, because Timothy was timid, and he's like, Timothy, stick with the fundamentals. Stick with the doctrine laid down by God, but build on that with a sincere faith and a sincere trust. Come, sincerity will take you places in God as you respond to the heart of God's sincerity for you. What is drawn up? He just says in 1 Timothy 1.5, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. Come on, sincerity is your asset. It's an asset, asset not to be double-minded, but to be pure-hearted, to be sincere. Come on, it's your weapon. It's a weapon. 
you know, against ideologies, against um, dis, uh, disputes and arguments. Your sincerity is a weapon. How sincere are we today? How sincere is what we're doing under the lordship of Jesus Christ? And my key scripture for this message, get into it, is Proverbs 24, verse 3 and 4. This is one we use in our marriage seminars a lot. It just says, through wisdom a house is built. By understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all pleasant and precious riches. So I want to get three points about a home. We're thinking of a house, a home, the church, us, and having a heart for what God wants to build in us and through us. The first point is the house is framed. You know, when we look at God, he's framed the world with his words. He spoke, there came a framework, then he called into being and made things that hadn't even been seen before. The creative expression of God. So God did that, he spoke it, he framed it. And there's the same as us. There's so much freedom in God's framework for you and I. You know, we don't need to look outside God's framework. He's done it. He's set it all up for us to win, to build with heart. Through wisdom, a house is built. The Bible says that we fall short of his glory. And that's referring to sin. But I wonder if we fall short in building the house to house his glory. Do we fall short of the glory of God in building his house within and his house together. And we've got to think, what are the issues? What are the blockages to a full expression of home? And I just put, because I've journeyed that way so far, an unbelief in God's sincerity. You know, sometimes we doubt God's ability. You know, sometimes we think, no, I'll pull the structure down so it fits me. Come on, that's pride, but it's small-minded. When we think of God who framed the world, we sometimes don't trust him with our own lives. We're like, no, I'll reserve that decision for myself. No, I'll do it my way. And God said, can't you trust me? I'm sincere. I've drawn pure. I'm your architect. I've drawn pure, sincere lines that you've got plenty of scope. You could never exhaust it. And yet sometimes in our own mind, we're like, no, I'll do it my way. I'll build how I like. I'll accept that, refuse that. And in doing so, we pull the structure down on our head in a sense. We don't trust the purity and the sincerity of God's heart. And I'm going to encourage us today to breathe in the sincerity of God and just let go any um, insincerity in your heart, any double-minded, you know, any human effort. And we're going to look at a few things in line with that. Because we want, in a sense, to relate to the scene, sometimes we form idols. And we can see in lots of countries, and maybe our own, because people want to relate to the scene, they pull the lines in, and they pull the framework down to their limited understanding. They misread God's intent, question God's sincerity, view God as somehow limiting us, and reduce God to what we can feel, touch, and see by living out of our senses. When Moses went up to the mountain, 
when he came down because the people thought he delayed. They thought, you know, he had left them, maybe forsaken them. They built a golden calf because there's something in the heart of people that want to worship. But often they want to worship to the scene. And we see that they had set up a golden calf and the people were bowing down to it. We've got to make sure we don't set up idols because we're not trusting in the framework that God has already set that we've got room to grow in. Psalm 115, verse 4 to 6 says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them, listen to this, are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Come on, idols don't have breath. Come on, they don't have life. You go hug an idol and see if it hugs you back. It's not going to. It's never going to. Yet people are setting up idols in the place of God to receive some sort of blessing from. But they're never going to be able to do that. They've got eyes, but they don't see. They've got ears. They're unflinching. They're cold. They're unmoved by your situation. And yet they can have power over people by bringing them into condemnation, into striving, into compromise. But often they're, they're based or they're set up out of the need to want to relate. But they can't save. They can't heal. They can't care. They can only cast oppression because of the belief people have in them. I like this quote from that scripture, those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts them. I don't really like it, but that is true. When people follow idols, they are cold and they are hard and they are dead, not intentionally. You lay hand on a person who's given themselves to idols, you can feel the spirit of death upon them. And come on, we've got the ability to set people free, to cast aside idols, to say, no, don't follow that. Don't be in fear to that, because often it's fear-induced. And we don't want to be like that. We want the life. We want the breath. We want the warmth of the Holy Spirit. We want the house of God to be vibrant, to be setting people free. Do you know, in our country, maybe idols aren't as obvious. Maybe they're more subtle. But do you know they're set up just the same in our hearts, like a substitute from really trusting God that his sincerity, his best is towards us. You know, an ideal can become an idol. God showed me that. Come on, you're idealistic, Helen. But your ideal, idealism has slipped into being an idol. You know, when something begins to matter too much, we're putting it up before the face of God. You know, if we come apart over some of the things that happen in our life, do we have an idol in our heart? Is there a substitute? Because instead of relating to God, we want to relate to maybe people-pleasing, you know, maybe performance, maybe to our sensual appetites and addiction happens as a result from serving the need and the want and the hunger within us. And we see a society that are addicted, that are addicted to many substances, to many false idols because of the need and the love hunger that's within. 
but Jesus can satisfy that. He can break us free. And we're the house of God. We should be the freest place on the planet. Come on, an ideal is a demand. Today, you're going to get, things are going to move. Maybe any insincerity. You know, maybe any idealism that says, you know, it's good to have ideals. They're good, but when we slip over the line that they matter far too much, more than our faith, more than our trust, more than our worship, they've maybe been set up in our heart as an idol because it's all about fulfilling self. Idols only demand more and more, and we end up serving them. Do you know God will allow our idols to fall? Because he says, you'll have no other God before me. And God in his love will sometimes allow our ideals to fail us, things not to work out, because we've got the order all wrong. So this is a wide open door to be freed from idols, you know, ideals, you know, cycles of behavior that maybe we're addicted to. This is a wide open door in the house of God where the power of God, where the Holy Spirit is present. Through wisdom, God, you're so mighty. God, you're so powerful. Come on, don't fight against God's structure and his framework. He's designed something amazing. Don't think this God who framed the whole world, you wouldn't want to think he's not big enough to house the desires of my heart. Sometimes in pride, people think, oh, my, my, my desires are so big. Don't you think God, when you look at nature, so big how he balanced the sea and, you know, everything fits into together, the orbiting of the sun and the moon. Don't you think he can house your desires? Don't you think there's enough space in his heart for it to work? Let's not go it alone. Let's be wise and say, God, you've already framed it, and I'm so excited. I'm going to do a spirit search because you've framed the house. So unwise to pitch ourselves against God. Really to have the audacity to think we know more than God. You know that we've got somehow more ability than God. Why would we want to change the boundary lines? The psalmist says, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Come on, God's got frameworks for all our life for our appetites. You know, if they're out of control, out of balance, God's got a framework in which they work well. He's got a framework for relationship. The Word is our greatest instruction manual. He's got a framework that the house would be led by leaders, that they would shine the way for the, the body, for the house to move. Imagine Moses. Sometimes it's hard enough to keep yourself centered, to keep yourself alive. But imagine Moses having to lead nearly four million people to keep them happy, to keep them centered, to keep them worshiping, and to reveal to them where they're going next. So have a heart for leaders who are given responsibility. It's enough responsibility looking after ourselves at times. But God has a framework and its order and it just works. Are we going to go through that doorway of wisdom? Take a breath. God's your architect. And it says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. You could be so busy. You could be working so hard. You could be knocking yourself out. And God's not in it. We're going to move into the sincerity and the purity of God's intent. The next one is fashioned. The house is fashioned. I know I'm giving you a lot today. 
and I think you can take it, by understanding the house is established. You don't want a house that moves and rocks and, and rolls. And, um, you know, when you go into some sort of cafe, some are certain design, minimalist, and others are eclectic. And you go, wow, that's a lot of different things, but they're all put together and it looks beautiful. It just works. And I wonder if church is a wee bit like that. God has got so much fashion that we're an eclectic group, that God just puts us together and makes us look beautiful. It just works as we fit together. It's God's fashion. God has done it and he's put us together. God is not one-dimensional, but he's creative and he's colorful. And, you know, religion is outward conformity. I just thought to myself, religion's like a flat pack. You know, it's just like something comes in a flat pack and it never gets open, never gets put up. Religion is just one way. Outward conformity. But when we're fashioned by God, God helps us to take our place. And often our problem is we don't understand one another. In a marriage, sometimes there's a demand for the one partner to be the same as the other. But they're not. God hasn't fashioned that way. But there's a way that we can flow together as we understand, as we go, there's room for this. This is complementary in the body here, in the house. It's complementary. We're a complement to one another as we allow God to bring our fashion into the mix. Security comes when we understand differences, when we don't compete but we celebrate one another's difference. Bruce and I are different, but we flow together in heart and vision. But we have different functions, but we understand. So there's no tension, there's no conflict. And if you're putting a demand on other people to be like you, that's insecurity. So we're going to move out of insincerity. We're going to move out of insecurity. Come on, we're going to deal with any ideals that in our heart that are blocking the flow of God. Do you know in the house of God, we can set one another up to win? And I'm just going to show you this. I'm not sure whether Nicola Gaze is here in the house. You hear Nicola? She set me up to win. Is this a funny looking thing? This is a jar opener. Now, as I've got older, my hands are not as supple, and I've got a bit of arthritis. I guess it comes with being 69, maybe. But she gave me this gift, and every time I use it, I bless her. I thank you for Nicola Gaze, because I just need to go like this, the jar lid opens, and then I can just unscrew it. If I didn't have this, I might be stuck at home, waiting for Bruce to come home before I can open a jar. You know, what a pain that would be. But I thank her that she set me up. Do you know in this house, we set one another up to win? You know, there is a, a story in the Old Testament, and it's from Ruth 1.16. You can just read it behind me. But it's like they both set one another up to win. Naomi had lost her husband. She had lost her sons. She said to her daughter-in-laws, go back to your nation. But Ruth said, I'm going with you. Ruth was setting Naomi up to win. I'm going to help you recover. I can see how much you have suffered. I'm going to do what I can to support you. Then Naomi came under Ruth and said, go and work in that field. There's a, a distant relative, Boaz. Boaz and Ruth eventually got married. They had a baby boy. And you know, the boy was not just attributed to um, Ruth and Boaz, but also to Naomi. 
because they both won in that situation. We're here to set one another up to win. We can win together as we set one another up. So there's a wide open door for us to do that here. Set one another up to succeed. Young people, look at the opportunities in the house. You can be set up to succeed. There's opportunities to serve. There's music. Come on, there's the development of character. There's faith. There's the uprisings to bring your friends that you can set them up to win. You know, parents, if children know who they are, they will not fall prey to peer pressure. And peer pressure can be a framework that squeezes the life out of kids. You know, if it's not a positive peer pressure, if it's a negative peer pressure, if it's a worldly, but if we keep them in the house, these children, these youth, these kids can be set up to win. And parents, it's your responsibility to bring them to the house of God as often as you can, to release them to uprising, to make sure they, need, they get to where they need to go. You know, this is a wide open door for faith. And you know, in those environments, the external environment calls to the inner choosing of God. Come on, the atmosphere of the house, corporate worship invites the presence of the Holy Spirit. The musicians set us up to worship. They set us up to succeed. They set us up to engage with God. Do we ever say thank you? Hopefully the preachers set you up. So you can go, I open my heart more because I want to do a diligent search in the spirit for all that you have. In Ezekiel, uh, Exodus 32, 26, Moses said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And the sons of Levi gathered together to him. Why? That was the inner choosing of God. Levi means joined. So when Moses said, who is on the Lord's side, come to me, Levi's, the Levites naturally responded. There's an inner choosing in each one of us that an external environment calls to. That's why things happen at Summer Revolution. That's why things happen at Shout, because there's an inner choosing we would never discover unless we put ourselves in those environments. That's why it's important that we're here. That's why it's great that we're here, because we can see God highlights things, things we would never have seen. There's things in me I would never have seen apart from being in that external environment of praise, of worship. I've been on my knees at home that calls to the inner choosing within me. They've got, we've got the DNA of our parents, we've got, but we've got the DNA of God. God's fashioning. We're talking about the house being fashioned. So let's understand that you are supposed to be who you are in the house, but together we might be eclectic, but we're God fashioned and we fit and we look good. And we are the answer to what the world needs. Come on, coming to church um, sets us up to win. So maybe we just need to say, God, I repent. And the last one in a few minutes is furnished. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant things. You know, it's one thing to have a house. Another thing is to furnish it. You know, you think you've got the house. Then you've got all the expense of the furniture, you know, and putting things in place. Um, you know, drapes, furniture, appliances. But you know, if we knowledge, we apply knowledge. Well, knowledge is applied wisdom, the frame, and understanding, the fashion. And we will come into all that God has. We will just see God furnish. Furnishing is the extras, the touch. The thing that you go like, wow, that's amazing. 
And we all want God to furnish our lives with that special touch, with that special anointing, with that special sense of his presence, with the witness of his Holy Spirit on what we do. We want that exponential of God. And we've got to furnish our life with maturity, wisdom, color, and flair. People know when something special is going on. Isn't it great when people can pick you out in the crowd as a Christian? Because there's something special. Your house is furnished. It attracts attention. The Queen of Sheba, she visited Solomon. And in the scripture behind, she just was amazed. In fact, she was breathless. She had lots of money. She had probably set up her kingdom. But there was something in Solomon's house. It was furnished. It was furnished with the Spirit of God. Solomon had the capacity and the understanding to believe that God had large frameworks. He had the ability to believe, to call down the things they need, needed. But it had the extra. It had the spirit and the touch of God. It had the exponential. It had the seed of multiplication. And the queen of Sheba was just breathless. Her breath was taken away. Come on, we can be like that as a house, as we build the house of God, as we step through that wide open door today and go, God, build me. My spirit makes diligent search. God, I'm going to step through that door today of building the house of God. God, you've got a huge frame I could never. You're inexhaustible, you know. Um, You're unfathomable. You're huge. And who am I to think that you can't fit into my structure? God, I choose to fit into your structure. God, I understand that we're different. But Father, you join it together, a work of unity, a work of flow, a work of the Holy Spirit that we're fashioned, we celebrate, we let external environments call to the inner choosing of God. In that place, we can let out what's deepest in our life that we don't even know sometime that is there. So there's a wide open door for service. She saw the excellence of service. There's wide open doors to extend what we have. We can export what we're in possession of. And Isaiah, for the sake of time, says, come on, stretch. Come on, there's a stretch in the spirit. There's a stretch for more today. There's a stretch of desire. God, I want what you have. And God furnished the house. And put on Proverbs 24. And he furnishes with pleasant and precious riches. What are precious riches? People. People. And that's why we're told to extend. Come on, extend the house. What could you do to serve? There's a wide open door for service. Because in the final analysis, what do we get to take to heaven? People. And God wants to furnish us. God wants to fill our house with joy. He wants to fill our house with togetherness. He wants to fill our house with the anointing of the Holy Spirit that we can be. And we can just ask ourselves, how big is our entry porch? If you just picture a porch maybe of an old home with a veranda and there's lots of shoes kicked off. People are walking in, but they're taking their shoes off. And, you know, sometimes we, we limit our outreach, but we just need to picture those lot more shoes. Shoes represent age groups, might represent, uh, represent cultures. It can represent a lot of different things. 
But we've got to say, how large is our entry porch? When Bruce and I were church planting and we started in here, our entry porch had about 30 pairs of shoes. And you go like, wow. Just moving through that wide open door to trust God's framework. In London, there was probably about 20 shoes on the entry porch when we started. And when we look at what's happening overseas now, as we've all joined together, as we've given into miracle offering, as we've partnered and we've sent and trained people and sent them out, what could happen? We need our houses, our church ministries, our love and our embrace to have a very large entry porch. How's your heart? How's your heart for welcoming people? How's your heart for just gathering people, taking care of people, looking out for people, ministering to people, encouraging people, prophesying over people? You know, how willing are we to extend ourselves? Just God wants to multiply his work through us. We just need that wide open door for multiplication and forgiving.